Okay. Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Uttaparakamalam Sri Guru Vaishnavamsta Sri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raghunatan Vitam Tam Sajivam Sadvaitam Savadutam Parijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Gaura Shakti Swarupaya Rupavanu What happened was Guru Maharaj uh, went to uh, Madhuban and Padmanabha Maharaj was there as well. And so for a month, they were giving classes every, almost every day. And uh, it's a kind of a tall order to come right after that. I think those classes ended yesterday and then I'm the next right after that. So it's a little, little tough. It's kind of like the local you know, warm-up act act coming on stage after like Metallica and Slayer or something. So here I am doing my set, but you know, this is just, just what it's going to be. And uh, I hope you guys get something out of it. So I don't know if you were listening in on the previous class, so I'll give a very quick overview of the second chapter of Jaya Dharma. Um, it was called um, the Vaishnav Dharma is Nitya Dharma. Let's see, actually, the actual title was, yeah, Vaishnava Dharma is Nitya Dharma. And in that chapter, Bhaktivinoda was establishing, first of all, what's the eternal function of the soul. And then, then from there went to the, uh, came to the conclusion that, that Vaishnava Dharma is the, the eternal function of, of the soul. And he compared it to other traditions and, and other distance and the conclusion was that Vaishnava Dharma is like the purest expression of the the fundamental nature of the soul and in that chapter um, after Prem Das Babaji, Babaji has dis, had described um, the kind of like the Vaishnava perspective on Advaita Vad or Advaita Vedanta after that um, 
Sanyasi Thakur, who was previously uh, Mayavadi Sanyasi, and then uh, got a glimpse of the like the pure Sudanam from this one devotee who happened to be chanting close to him in in Varnasi. He got this bhakti samskar, and he he wasn't happy with the Advaita Vad conception anymore. So he started looking out looking for devotees, and then he found the Prem Das Babaji in Mayapur and then became a devotee, but but he hadn't fully like gotten purified. So after Prem Das Babaji had explained to him the Vaishnava view of Advaita Vad, how basically Sankaracharya is an incarnation of Shiva and there's a whole reason for, uh, for uh, Shankaracharya's appearance. At that point, Sanyasi Thakur wanted to um, do away with his sannyas garb and the kind of like the external uh, signs of being a mayavadi you know he had his mayavadi uh, dress and the ekdanda the, the stick with one rod and at that point so then vaishnav uh, sannyasi takur men i mean not vaishnav but sannyas takur mentioned that to um sorry my phone's on so Sanyas Thakur mentioned that to Prem Das Babaji, who he had accepted as his guru. And um, at that point, Prem Das Babaji says, I never give any instruction to external things. I, I only, you know, talk about the Siddhanta and, and talk about the Lila and so on. Like, I don't, I don't give instructions on uh, clothing and external things. I do that when I read it, I was like, it's kind of like this essential approach that basically once your heart gets purified and you actually start identifying with being a devotee, then you start dressing like a devotee. And of course, <laughs> the way that it's played out in the West, it's pretty much the exact opposite. And it's understandable, but I'll just first explain what I mean. Like in the West, what happened and what still happens is that right away when people start coming to the temples because the western uh, missions are preaching missions a lot of times there's this push to to like dress up as a devotee right away and like it's like the first day in the ashram you want to be a brahmachari and you're in saffron you're out on the streets and uh, it's very much the opposite of what uh, jayavadharma is saying here which is that first you purify your heart i mean it doesn't have to go like that but that that plays out in the book they first you purify your heart and when you identify as being a devotee then you change your garb according to your internal sense of who you are and uh, i remember the first time i was in a dhoti in a public place was when um a long time ago like 17 years ago when i decided to become a monk and i came from finland to california with guru Maharaj. and so uh <laughs> I dressed up, I, I really didn't It was some kind of like those fancy silk dotis with all the embroidery and everything on the edges. And so I, I hardly knew how to wrap it on. And so I wrapped it, wrapped it on and I had these like trekking boots and a, like an army.
happen. And so that's what came to my mind when I read this thing where Babaji Maharaj says, like, you know, just, you know, wait until you feel like a devotee and then dress like a devotee. And so that was in the previous chapter. And in this chapter, this third chapter of the Jaiva Dharma starts with um, uh, Sanyasi Thakur chanting Harinam in the night, in the evening. And I think Bhaktivinoda even mentions around 10 o'clock in the evening, which I thought was so funny that he would say the, the time of the day. And so then all of a sudden he's chanting and he has this incredible vision of, of the Aprakrita Mayapur, like all these like arch, like gem inlaid arches and these huge domes and like temples show up in this like dazzling sport or, or like a, what would you call it? This dazzling uh, uh, vision. And he has this vision of like Shiva dancing his like the, the, dance of the uh, cosmic devastation and in ecstasy calling out to Goranga and Brahma is praying to Goranga and like all these demigods, there's hundreds of devotees doing this like loud kirtan and he's completely like blown away by the whole vision and then he uh, faints. And then in the next morning, uh, he throws out his danda. Then, then, you know, basically he had, he reached like Bhav for the holy name, oh, he reached the stage of Bhav, and then he was ready to become like dressed like a devotee. So he threw out his danda in the river, and he changed his garb and put on tilak and started, you know, chanting in ecstasy and went went to his guru, Prem Das uh, Babaji. And so when Prem Das Babaji saw him, he was of course overjoyed and hugged him. And then Premadas Babaji said, oh, Vaishnav Das, you know, my, my life has become successful because I've been able to touch your body. And that's how he got initiated, like formally. He gave him the name in that like spontaneous moment, Vaishnav Das, which is so nice because he was a Mayavadi Sanyasi and now he's like the servant of the Vaishnavs. And so uh, that's how he got his name. And then that same day, the devotees started gathering in the Pradyumna Kunja, which was the Kunja where uh, Premdas Babaji was staying. He was the most senior, most advanced devotee in that Godroom, in those Kunjas in Godroom. So all the devotees started coming there and uh, circumambulating ambulating the Tulasi plant and, and singing Harinam and so on. And so Vaishnavdas came as well, and he started rolling on the ground where the devotees had been walking because he wanted to have their foot dust. And uh, people were like blown away, like, wait a second, is that like Vaishnavdas, or are we just, you know, mistaking him for somebody else? He's, he's looking like just effulgent. This is incredible. And then they said something like, oh, we want to have your association. And then Vaishnavdas was very embarrassed by that because he said, you know, here I am, you know, I wanted to get the mercy of the, the devotees and now they're praising me and this is you know this is you know not right and so then he started like kind of like putting himself down he basically said all these things about how unfortunate he had been that he had been so proud of his high birth because he was the, from this high class brahmana family and uh, that the fact that he was very learned and that he was a sannyasi, all those things like had pushed him up in the highest echelon of society, but it, it made him completely proud. And now that he had had the actual sport of like what reality is and how insignificant he is in the whole picture of, of 
the big bigger picture of things then he felt this like intense humility and he was just like kind of like mm, kind of hard on himself you know and uh, there was one and there 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 were these very nice humble beautiful like uh, uh back and forth between the devotees and and vaishnav das and um then uh, there was this one person in the audience who got disturbed from the exchanges his name was uh, uh kalidas lahiri mahashai and he was this uh, very, very learned Brahmana uh, and a landlord, like a rich, rich, very wealthy landlord. And uh, uh, he was, he had been in this high position of courting all these like um, uh, Muslim royalty and everything like that. But he had never really like, it never gave him any pleasure. He had this very high status, but he couldn't get any pleasure from it. And so then he started find, looking out he somehow ended up doing kirtan. He got into doing Harinam Sankirtan, and then he ended up, somehow he ended up in Mayapur. And so he was in that assembly. He had come there with this other Babaji that he was staying with at the moment. And he got disturbed because he was still attached to his, like the Brahmin, Brahminical idea and all these uh, uh, socio-religious ideas about what's, what the structure of society is and so on. And so, he was also like a skilled orator orator he he was very good at speaking so he decided to put out the put out the question his doubts out there and specifically what he asked was uh let's see where is it so he said according to manu smriti and other dharma shastras the brahmana caste is the highest and according to these shastras, religious rites such, such as Sandhya Vandana, which is the, the Gayatri mantras and the, the certain mantras recited three times every day, uh, are considered to be nitya karma or eternal functions for the Brahmins. If these activities are obligatory, why is Vaishnava behavior opposed to them? So, so the way he understood what Vaishnava Das was saying was that, that he was like, opposed to the Brahminical Dharma, basically, because he was saying that it's just pride, pride, and he's so glad to be done with it. And uh, so all the devotees asked Prem Das Babaji to answer, but instead Prem Das Babaji said that he would like to have Vaishnav Das answer the question, which was a smart move because, you know, the, the doubts came from Vaishnav Das's behavior. And um, basically, Vaishnav does started explaining the whole thing by saying that that there are basically two types of um, that human nature has like two types of tendencies in relation to religion. And one of the tendencies is Vaidhi, and the other one is Raganuga. And Vaidhi, of course, means like the religious rules and regulations for human society. And uh, Raganuga means this spontaneous attraction and, and love for, for Krishna or, or God. And uh, he went on to say that as long as there's uh, any kind of influence of Maya in one's heart, then the, the Vaidhi Dharma or the Vaidhi path is absolutely necessary because we need to be regulated from the outside to stay 
on the right course because our internal uh, our desires and and yearnings actually pull us away from the path of religion or the path of progressive um, progressive uh, um, path towards God and um, then within the Raganuga tendency there's this it's called shayon mukha stage which means that you your tendency is towards ragatmika or the the final uh kind of like final complete uh, severing off of material attachment but uh as long as you're tending towards it it's it's uh called raganuga and then when you're completely pure and you you're actually actually completely severed severed from material existence then that's the ragat ragat technically opposite way like we have this natural attraction for matter and for our false <laughs> false ego and it's uh, really interesting to think that that's that's our false nature but we because of our like continuous and eternal connection with this false nature we the bhaktivinoda makes this point that we think that that false nature is the actual spiritual identity or the real substance or the vastu of who we are and and so we have we are agatmikas towards matter it's so so absolutely um spontaneous the way we're we our attachments and desires kick in when they get agitated and it's very unfortunate because <laughs> consider that our real nature actually is to spontaneously be attracted to the embodiment of reality or like that's self so anyway that's what uh, that's how uh, vaishnava started explaining uh, kind of like prepping to make lahiri mahasaya understand why the brahmana dharma is not at the same level with vaishnava dharma that from this uh, connection with matter, we get this like false ego of I, me, and mine, as is the saying. I am so that, that like uh, uh, identification with uh, the body brings this sense of possessiveness of whatever is re in relation to that body. And then from what comes from that is that we naturally are uh, favorable to the things that give pleasure to our mind and body and we're naturally averse to the things that give pain to the uh to the mind and body and the terms for that are raga which means attachment and and dvesha which means uh aversion so raga and dvesh like everything in our material lives 
goes between those two polar opposites. And Bhaktivinoda goes on to explain how it, it like plays out in three different categories. Since Bhaktivinoda likes to categorize things, which is very useful, he says that it plays out in, in relation to the body and it's, it's like extensions and so on, the family and so on, which the term is saririka. And then there's samajika, which means in relation to society and social ideas. So we like the social ideas that, that somehow give us pleasure and we are very averse to the kind of social ideas that take away from our immediate pleasure and what we deem based on that bodily conception to be uh, beneficial for us. And then the last type of, um, uh, or the last category is naitika, which means in relation to morality and ethics. And also I think Bhaktivino didn't mention it, but that goes as well with religion. So like we relate to the kind of morality or religion that gives our body and mind pleasure, right? I mean, the, the new age uh, religions or new age like spiritual systems are a good example of how they kind of like stroke the ego, not always, but a lot of times, instead of trying to go beyond the ego, of the duality of, of uh, Raga and Dwes, Dwes, Dwesa. Um, I'm sure you have, you've had an experience like that if you've ever tried to convince somebody of vegetarianism. Like they, one of the most common, I, when I was younger, when I got into vegetarianism, I was kind of fanatical because I felt like it was the truth or whatever. And so I would, <coughs> excuse me, have these debates with people. And one of the most common things they would say, there are two things. One was, I could never give up meat, which means it gives me pleasure. I can't give it up. Well, the other one was that we, it's natural for humans to eat meat, right? But that was just another way of saying, I can't give up meat because it gives me pleasure. Because, you know, there's nothing that like, for, we don't have to eat meat if we don't have to. So that, that's just a quick example of how that raga and dwesha plays out on the level of ethics and morality. And... Um, then Bhaktivinoda goes on to say how the things that perpetuate this false, faulty sense of self are kanaka, kamini, and pratishta. This is a, a, a three-way thing that is used a lot uh, in the, in the Bhaktivinoda Parivar. And so kanaka means gold or wealth or any kind of thing that money can buy. So basically like you could say wealth or acquisition. And kamini is the sexual pleasure or lust and so on. And then pratishta is the, uh, the sense of self that you get from getting like status or, or being appreciated and recognized in society. So these three things, when you put them together, that's pretty much material attachment or bondage in a nutshell. And from that, of course, samsara kicks in because you can't get, you perpetuate that cycle by having that desire to obtain those things, which just keeps you spinning deeper and deeper into the cycle of birth and death. Um, and then, of course, when, when the jiva's consciousness is that covered by those desires from those three sources, there's no chance that we can understand the spiritual uh, truths 
uh, chid anurag is the term, or the, the, the truths of, of consciousness, because we're so, our consciousness is so covered by all these uh, material influences. What to speak of actually having a truly spiritual sustained, sustained experience, it's just, it doesn't happen. And so then the question comes, well, what are we going to do? Like, what chance do we have to get out of that? And uh, uh, Sadhu Sangha, sometimes it happens that through Sadhu Sangha, somebody gets liberated without really knowing anything about the scriptures or actively trying to pursue a life of devotion. But it's, it's very rare. And so then uh, Vaishnav Das goes on to explain that um, is merciful. And, and that's why he uh, basically revealed the Funny, I was just about to say something about how my internet is bad and just cut off when I started speaking. So <laughs> good, I, I picked, noticed it at least. Um, yeah, let's see, where were we? So yeah, so then Sri Krishna revealed the Vedas that give the instructions how to get out of this situation or how to progress in life towards uh, praying. But the, the Veda is like sectioned into three parts and there's the karma kanda gyan kanda and bhakti kanda and it's all based on people's what their adhikar or eligibility to understand is like basically what the level of of the material bondage is in their consciousness And all these demigods it's, it seems like it's just kind of random but the way what Bhaktivinoda says is that the Gita clearly establishes that there's a progression and basically what it is is we first have to come to the level of karma which will go into what, what karma in this context means and there we gradually purify ourselves by following the vidhi to karma yoga, which means that we do action without any personal motive, which is even more purifying. And then from that stage, we go to gyan, we get knowledge of the self and of this sambandha gyan, who God is and so on. And we have the purity of the mind to actually focus on it and understand it. And that through that purification, we go to bhakti. So there's Three different adhikars. There's gyan adhikar, no, karma adhikar, karma yoga adhikar. Well, that's four actually. Gyan adhikar and bhakti adhikar. And then Vaishnava Das goes on to explain there's different scriptures for those different adhikars. And 
if we'll stick to the three different adhikars, forget about the karma yoga adhikar for now. For the karma adhikaris are the dharma shastras. And they, that all relates to society and like kind of like material uh, stuff, material uh, relationships and how to behave in the world. Then the Gyan Adhikaris, their scriptures are the Nyaya or the logic Shastras and the Upanishads and philosophy and so on. And then the Prem Adhikaris or the Bhakti Adhikaris, it's the Puranas and the pure Tantras. And um, let's see here. So then uh, Vaishnav does, he kind of tries to give this comprehensive idea of what karma is and how to look at karma. Like, it's actually a good question. Like, what is activity? What, what is action, really? And uh, let me share a screen here. I did a little bit of a chart because there's a lot of terms here. So, okay. So, Vaishnava um, does, well, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, uh, differentiates between shubha karma and ashubha karma. And so shubha means auspicious. And so there's auspicious karma and inauspicious karma. And uh, within the shubha karma, well, then he goes on to say how shubha karma is the kind of behavior activity that leads to uh, like piety, like sattvic behavior, basically, sattvic action that leads to like a better life. And Ashuba karma is based on, um, well, any kind of sinful activity that's really based on just wanting immediate uh, sense gratification and the selfish desire to accumulate and enjoy. And so then within that auspicious karma, nitya, nitya karma means the kind of behavior that is like the daily prescribed duties, like exactly what Lahiri Mahasai was asking about in the beginning the Sandhya Vandana uh, Gayatri Mantras and all these prescribed duties that the different classes of society have to perform every day. So that's within the Nitya Karma. And then Naimittika Karma are these like, uh, what's the word? Um, infrequent things. The example given in, in Jaiva Dharma, the rites that you have to perform when your parents pass away, for example. But there's a whole bunch of different Naimittika Karma injunctions and then the last one is kamiya karma it means lust or desire so it's the kind of things that you do solely for your own pleasure but you do it in the context of uh vedic injunction and regulations you do it according to the shastra instead of just going after it you know just straight gratification and although the kamiya karma or the, the lusty karma, whatever, that's a bad translation, but the, the karma for, for fulfilling desires is in the Shubha karma section, Bhaktivinoda says nonetheless through Vaishnav Das's mouth that we should uh, reject that as devotees because it's not conducive for, uh, for a devotional life if that becomes your focus. And then in the Ashubha or... or non-auspicious activities is akarma, which means the non-performance uh, of, of shubha karma. So you just, you don't do any of, you don't follow the, the vidhi mark, you don't follow the rules and regulations. And then kukarma means actual sinful activities. And 
so about what so much of what the normal at least the global western world is like preoccupied with it, it would kind of fall on the ashuba karma side in so many ways because there really is no sense of mo mostly oh, for a good part i should say there's no sense of acting so that you progressively go towards this more purified state of consciousness that's not really a focus in the world and so then according to the vedic uh wisdom that kind of behavior unfortunately keeps spinning you down downward in the karmic or in the samsara cycle and uh, that's the point that vaishnav does is doing here that when you start on the ladder when you start with karma you have to try to focus on the shubha karma so that you gradually get elevated so that your adhikar gets closer to karma yoga where you realize that whatever desires you're trying to fulfill through through the injunctions and stuff don't actually give a whole lot of enjoyment and uh let's go back to the notes here so then then the authors of the veda started thinking like what kind of society how do you arrange your society so that it supports shubha karma or the the good kind of auspicious karma and they uh you know analyze the different propensities and and traits of different types of people and they came to this conclusion of varnashram dharma uh, system that is like engineered to maximize the amount of shubha karma that you uh, uh, that you perform uh and of course i could give a whole class or many classes on how difficult it that is to you know est establish or to do that in the modern world because it's it's gotten so far from the ideal of the vedic understanding of life that if you don't have the core of thinking of like progressing in life towards this more purified state of consciousness then all these regulations of society to start seeming like these extremely binding and and uh, shackling kind of like empty rules so without this the core of having the sense that where life progressively goes towards like a, a more business can start seeming very restrictive and unnecessarily harsh and um so i i can't really go into that because it would take me a couple of classes to really bear down on it and maybe i'll do it at some point because it's a very interesting thing but for now we just have to leave it on the shelf and um so the interesting thing is to really understand how high the the even the um ideal of varnashram dharma is there's a verse in the srimad bhagavatam that says it goes like this the duties for the members of all the varnas or the different classes of society in varnashram are non-violence truthfulness abstention from theft freedom from lust anger and greed and endeavoring for the pleasure and welfare of all living beings so imagine if we had a society where all the you know constituents of that society would actually adhere to that kind of moral code I mean, it's like an extremely for that seems like spiritual to us because we're not in the West. We're not really 
used to thinking in well at least secular west we're not used to thinking in these spiritual terms so that kind of level of of purity or sattva is in itself seems spiritual although it's really just a preliminary thing on the spiritual path so that just shows it's understandable that Lahiri Mahasha had some down what karma really is and what the different categories of karma are. And um, the next phase is so basically Vaishnav But then he goes on to kind of redefine karma and says that in the absolute sense, really the only nitya karma or eternal function of, of humans is bhakti. And, and so that's the only, and everything else is really naimitika karma or like this more inconsequential circumstantial behavior based on the, whatever circumstances you find yourself in. But the reason that bhakti is really the only nitya karma is because that's the only behavior that is the same in every single situation. Vaishnavs, they always, their whole purpose of And so from that, point of view he goes on to explain to to lahir mahashai um that in that sense when when lahir mahashai said that the sandhya vandana and the other prescribed duties are the nitya karma of this brahmanas the vaishnava does is saying actually no that that's all naimitika karma but but it's only nitya karma in this like via or or like circumstantial sense and then he goes on to tell to uh, Lahiri Mahashai that, that there's really two types of people in the world, the ones that are spiritually unconscious and the ones that are spiritually awake. And in the spiritually, then most people, of course, are spiritually unconscious. That's how the world goes around. And in that sphere, the Brahmanas are like the, the best, you could say, because they have the most purity. But, but the ones that are spiritually awake, they are bound to behave differently than any of the class of people in the spiritually unconscious uh, category. And the whole point of the Veda is to bring people to the spiritually awake stage. And that's why the Vaishnavs, uh, for example, what Vaishnav does did just in the beginning of, of this chapter, he was kind of thrashing the, the Brahmana Dharma and the Sannyas Dharma. The reason is because that those things are actually very good for people when they're going on the ladder towards purification. But once you're purified, all of that actually becomes a huge hindrance. If you're getting seriously purified and you're still attached to your, like say like Brahmana Dharma 
then that becomes the binding force that was supposed to be like one step ahead, one step that you use to like go on the next step, you get attached to that one step and you think that's the highest step. And that becomes the step in itself becomes an impediment for you. And uh, you can imagine how puny the question felt for Vaishnavdas who had just like previous night had this amazing spurti or this like this revelation of the the aprakrita nature of the tom that he was staying in like it showed itself in its true form and he realized his own relationship to god and to to the dom of the god so he he actually like glimpsed reality for for a short time and then he comes down from that and then this like puffed up brahmana is asking like why are you guys opposed to this Brahmana Dharma? The Brahmanas are the best in the world. Like, what's wrong with you? So, you know, it must have been a little <laughs> difficult to come down from that and be like patiently, like go through this whole long explanation of how karma, jnana, and bhakti relate to each other and what's the nature of reality and so on. Um, another point that Vaishnavdas makes is that although this is kind of what I said already, but he, he says it really well. And he says that although Varnashram Dharma and Gyan and so on are meant for purification, they're still, or at least Varnashram Dharma is abundant with materialism because it has to be, because it's basically offering boons for material conditioned souls for them to be excited to move forward. It's like the classic carrot thing, you know, you dang the carrot and you go a little forward when you're thinking that you're sense gratification but whoever is sitting in your back and holding the carrot knows the direction so the varnashram system or you could say vishnu through the varnashram system kind of knows which direction to go he's holding the carrot and people go for the desire but they actually move forward like that and so so that's what the point that varnashram does makes that actually if you look at it objectively the varnashram system is like abundant with materialism and that's why it's very inconducive for for people who want to go to the ad hoc sacha, to, to the like ultimate reality of complete pure spirituality. And um, really then the last point that Vaishnav does makes, which is a beautiful point, is that really when you are like a Raganuga Bhakta or Ragatmika Bhakta, or not Ragatmika, but Raganuga, when you still have some material, you're still in the material sphere, but your heart is on the other side, the only scriptural injunction or the only rule that you really have to follow it is that you do whatever is conducive for that cultivation and you immediately reject. what the level of our purification is. And then based on that, we, uh, we follow the rules that are useful. And even a lot of the things that are considered to be Varnashram or just what really they are, are just like universal ethical behavior is very useful for devotees at the stage that most devotees are at. Um, oh, I just now realized I was sharing the screen forever. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. So basically, 
even for us devotees, the level we are at, it's good to consider, I think, like, what is our level of purification and what are the rules and regulations that are beneficial for us? And probably even in our stage, it's still good to stick to the bhakti regulations. Like, I can't really see much use for even devotees on our on the level most of us are at like why should we follow all this varnashram uh regulations if our desire is to go beyond material existence but i guess now that we don't have a system like that in place it's it's good to check in with yourself and and just you know be kind of introspective about what would benefit your practice and, and what would become a hindrance and just like a like Bhaktivinod calls it the Bharavahi approach where you just it's the burden of all these rules that don't really support what you ultimately are trying to do and so then after this explanation the the Vaishnavs who are gathered in the Pradumnia Kunj they're like so affected by the tears are flowing from their eyes and they're shouting Haribol and like you know blessings unto you and they just feel this like transcendent, transcendental bliss from the clear and and realized explanation of Vaishnav Das and Lahiri Mahashai he still has some doubts but his heart is starting to get purified and he's very very appreciative of the whole thing and in his heart he's oh he says something to Vaishnav Das uh, really appreciates it he he says that No, actually, I'm sorry, Prem Das says that to Lahiri Mahashai that you can come and hear every once in a while from Vaishnav Das. And then his heart, Lahiri Mahashai is thinking, thinking, accepting Vaishnav Das as his guru and thinking, yes, because he's a Brahmana and used to be a sannyasi, so he still has those attachments. But the attachments are starting to get purified because he's recognizing the importance of, of Vaishnavism for the ultimate you know goal of life and uh, just to wrap this up then what happens is Lahiri Mahashai goes back to his kunja with the Babaji that he's staying with and then it turns out that that Babaji has fallen down there's this lady showing up to the courtyard in the middle of the night and then Lahiri Mahashai wakes up in the middle of the night because he's like thinking about just can't stop thinking about the stuff that Vaishnava said and so he's woken up by his philosophical you know drive and then he hears something in the courtyard and go, goes out and looks you know that's in the middle of the night and there is Madhavadas Babaji who he's staying with and he's talking to a woman and then the woman quickly runs away when uh, Lahiri Mahashai shows up Other devotees, uh, according to Madhav Das's words, are not taking him seriously anymore. And, and Lahiri Mahasha gets a little freaked out from it and decides he can't stay there because he can't take the risk that the other Vaishnavs are going to start associating him with Madhav Das's uh, corruption, you could say. And so then he goes immediately to, uh, to Vaishnav Das and Prem Das Babaji in their kunja and asks if he could stay there. And then Prem Das Babaji gives him. A permission to start residing in one of the corners of the kunja 
And that's how that chapter ends. And then the next chapter, it's going to pick up from there. And actually, this Lahiri Mahashai character becomes one of the four main characters of the first part of Jaiva Dharma. So uh, we will continue there uh, next week. And now, if you guys have any questions or comments or any, anything that came to your mind from this, I'd love to hear it. So please share if you have anything. Haribol, Guru Nishtari. Haribol, Rigo. Good to see you. Thank you very much for this, this class. Super nice. Super nice. Uh, I have a question about Madhavadas Babaji. You, you, you quickly kind of summarized the, the story with him. and, and uh, But why do you think Bhaktivinoda felt, why did he include that whole kind of episode in, in this chapter? What, what do you think was the teaching? Rigo, the internet cut off. Was your question was just why did he include the last part? Yeah, that was my question. Uh, uh, that why did he include this part about Madhavadas Babaji and and uh, uh, so on? Yeah, I thought about that. I had two two different answers. One is that he needed it for the <laughs> for the plot to get Lahiri Mahashai with Vaishnavdas. But of course, he could have he would have not had to do it that way from the point of view of like literary you know the plot or whatever but then i guess i guess he really just wanted to emphasize because madhav does when when he gets caught talking to his wife he says you know i'm the the last uh, only person after chotta haridas who has deserved chastisement by the vaishnavs and so it's like this really heavy kind of like wow i really screwed up here and I guess I'm thinking, I, I think Bhaktivinoda just really wanted to emphasize that um, it's really important that if you renounce Varnashram Dharma, then you don't play with the Varnashram Dharma because the whole chapter was about that, right? So that would make sense to me. Like if you actually claim that you're pure and that you can go beyond rules and regulations, this actually came to me just now. I hadn't thought of it this far. So then it must be that you don't, uh mess with it you know i guess that's that would be my explanation what do you think that sounds very good thank you <laughs> thank you <laughs> appreciate it Jai. anything else hey Hari Bol. Hari Bol, Hari Priya. back in finland huh yeah yeah back back at home hey thank you i i really like your interesting class Thank you. and uh, and uh, I have a question about uh, you you spoke about karma like you made the difference between subha karma and asubha karma and uh, I found it interesting that this kind of like bad karma or sinful karma kind of it includes the sinful activities as such but also if I understood correctly it includes like not doing good like uh, kind of staying neutral or avoiding bad uh, kind of like um, you could also see that um, that like um, how, how should I say this kind of like if you stay neutral if you don't if you avoid doing bad things actively that's already kind of like a good thing but here I get the feeling that uh, it's still like like a bad thing if you're not doing actively good things <laughs> I don't yeah. know if that makes sense but uh, it, it would be nice to hear some of your thoughts 
Thanks. Yeah, it does definitely make sense. Thank you for the question. Um, I, I kind of struggled with that whole karma idea when I was prepping for the class, but that's really nice. I didn't think about it like that, but that's a nice way of thinking about it, that it's being neutral, really, what it is in a way. Or it, well, yeah, I guess that's one way of looking at it. Uh, the way I thought about it is that you you avoid following the vidi, vidi instructions or the the injunctions, but you you don't do any specifically sinful activities. And so I guess then what would make sense to me why that is in the Ashubha karma part is that your life is not life is not going to be progressive if you don't follow the vidhi by doing the good activities. So even though it's neutral from the point of view of that you're not doing sinful activities, themselves, it's it's stagnant and it it actually doesn't uh, create auspiciousness in the form of of spiritual progress. That's that's the best I can do with that. <laughs> Does Brigo have any? Can you hear me? Okay, <laughs> Brigo has no, nothing to add. Okay, anything else? Okay, seems like that's it. Well, I guess we'll be back next Friday and I hope to see you all there or here next next Friday. Vaishnavrinda ki dai. Haribo. Guru Nishtha.